This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. We begin with a topic that will be familiar to anyone who has shepherded a loved one through the end of life. We don't have enough palliative care. Now, 60% of the people who die in Ontario do receive palliative care. But even those who are fortunate enough to be in that group usually start it too late. Nearly half of these patients don't access the service until the last month of their lives. And there's a big disconnect. Most people say they want to die at home, but most actually die in hospital. And this is all from a report just released by the Health by Health Quality Ontario. And on the line, I have Dr. Joshua Tepper, President and Chief Executive Officer of Health Quality Ontario. Hello. Welcome, Dr. Tepper. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So um, what did you find to be the most urgent need in terms of a gap in palliative care? Well, perhaps not just one need, unfortunately, but a few. And one of those is to start earlier with our discussions of palliative care. Uh, The reality is in many cases now, not every case, but many, we're able to understand the path of a disease a lot better. And we should be involving palliative care much earlier in the path of chronic diseases. Our palliative care specialists can bring a lot of skills to the table. Uh, around pain control and symptom control, emotional support for the family, uh, as well as the patient. So involving them earlier is, is I think, one of the big opportunities we see in this report. Um, So we'll pause there anyways. Okay, well, I I just want to give uh, the numbers out again, because I'm also going to want to hear from our listeners about their experiences with end-of-life with loved ones, with palliative care, or trying to get palliative care. And the numbers are 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. We're talking about palliative care, the need for more of it, and we'd really like to hear from you about what you went through. Uh, doctor, you are mentioning something really important, and that is accessing it early enough. Uh, here is what I'm wondering. Uh, is that a problem that people aren't referred early enough, or is it a problem that people are reluctant to go early enough? Uh, I think the term palliative care scares a lot of people, and a lot of people think it means we're giving up. And uh, and I, is that a big barrier? Because I, that would be my perception that it is. I think it's absolutely one of the one of the factors. I think there is a bit of stigma or a lack of understanding about the role of palliative care in the healthcare system and in the course of a patient's care. And the more we can take the time and explain about the expertise that's brought by a palliative care system, that how palliative care complements other forms of treatment uh, about the type of support they can give around pain control, symptom control. Uh, it will help people feel more comfortable accessing uh, those roles in our healthcare system. And also to understand that people, 
will have an may may have a intermittent course with palliative care. They may involve palliative care at certain points and then not need them for a period of time and then involve them again a little later. And so it's it's not like a light going on and off where we're doing everything and now it's palliative and we're not. It's much more how do we continue to understand the patient's goals, the patient's wishes and bring the expertise of palliative care into that goal planning and into making sure the patient's goals are achieved and recognizing that over the course of maybe many months even, that the role of palliative care will ebb and flow. Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I want to bring in some personal experience because uh, I had palliative care and um, the first thing I said when I was referred to palliative care because I, I was being treated for cancer and my pain was not under control was like, wow, you're freaking me out, palliative care. And they explained to me that it didn't mean that it's the end, but that they were the experts in managing pain. And, you know, I went through palliative care, and uh, they kind of uh, managed very heavy drugs, and they also managed tapering off heavy drugs. And here I am many years later. And, and people are always surprised to hear this because, again, I think there's this real, I wouldn't say stigma, but even for a family member, you know, to go and say, go to palliative care means we're giving up on you and you're going to die soon. Uh, first of all, I'm glad you're healthy in here today. Thank that's, you. That's really, really nice. The second is I'm really glad you felt comfortable asking and that your healthcare providers took time to really explain it. And I think we do need to be more proactive uh, as healthcare providers in a healthcare system, uh, even if a patient doesn't have the courage to ask uh, or, or sort of that uncertainty around it, that we take the time to sort of explain what is palliative care, what are the variety of roles they bring, and also how does it interject and intersect with other care pathways uh, that the patient will be experiencing. Um, yeah, um, and again, I want to hear from people because I think that, you know, when you talk about people accessing it late or not till the last month, the, the thing about it is that you kind of have to have it in place that that if if you wait till things are kind of out of control, uh, it can be very difficult to get it managed. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure I'm expressing that correctly, doctor. Can you, you know, flesh that out? Uh, absolutely. I think, again, we, you know, we, we'll never expect it never just to be at the end. There are certain cases where things are diagnosed at a certain stage or unfortunately things move very quickly where some palliative care will only be engaged uh, in the last few weeks of life uh, or perhaps not at all. Um, but there is, I think, still an opportunity for us in many cases with more chronic diseases than ever before, with us having a better understanding about the progression of chronic diseases to bring those skills in earlier. And you mentioned pain is one. Uh, there are other types of symptoms people can have, such as severe shortness of breath with other types of conditions where palliative care can be helpful. And also just the emotional and the spiritual uh, that can often be quite an impact at an early stage of diagnosis uh, where some of those skills and expertise can be brought to bear. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. Uh, the other thing that I'd like to touch on, and again, I'd like to hear from our listeners about their experiences, and this is that whole business about wanting to die at home, but most people uh, die 
in the hospital. And I'd like to read a few statistics uh, from your report. And uh, I'm hoping that our listeners will chime in with with their experiences of this. And the numbers again, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-744-740. So it says, as we said, half of people begin receiving palliative care in the last month of their life. Nearly 65% died in the hospital. A quarter spent half or more of their last month of life in the hospital, and nearly two-thirds had unplanned emergency visits in the last month of life. Less than half received palliative home care services in their last month of life, and about a third received a home visit by a doctor in the last month of their life. So uh, what are the challenges? You know, I think there are big challenges for people who are trying uh, to allow a loved one to die at home. Absolutely. And I think it's one of the major areas of improvement. Again, I don't think we'll ever see a situation where nobody's dying in a hospital or nobody's having emergency room visits, but the numbers should be much less. And in order to bring those numbers down, we need to have a much more organized system of palliative care in the province. And the good news is there is actually something called the Ontario Palliative Care Network, mm-hmm. the OPCN, which has recently been announced, which is getting going, which really will aim to try to make uh, palliative care a much more available, a much more consistently available resource in the province, particularly around providing hospice and home care uh, deaths where that's the family's wish. I think there are times, of course, where uh, the family initially had that goal and then decides that that's not their goal, and obviously we respect that. But where it is the family's goal, we should be working very hard to have our healthcare system with the right infrastructure, the right planning ability, the right resources and people in place wherever they live in the province uh, to have that uh, as much time as possible, as much time as the patient wants to be at home. Well, I th- I think the problem with that is, you know, when you're accessing home care now, they assess you and they say you can get three hours or f- however much they say you can get. And it's, it's kind of a, a bit of a bureaucratic process to get more. And if you want to fill in the more, it's very expensive. So for people of means that's possible. But but right now, uh, you know, you say you want your loved one to die at home, and, and perhaps that's cheaper for the system, but it, it's, it's out of reach for very many people. Well, I think it's probably respectfully a bit more complicated than that, because what's required to ha- allow somebody and to facilitate somebody's goal, if that's their goal of dying at home, is actually quite complicated. And it's more than just certain types of home care. It takes a, a range of equipment, a range of availability to medication, a range of clinical expertise around a, a team of people. And it's how do we start to bring all of those different pieces that need to be in place together in an organized way. I think that's one of the promises uh, and commitments of the Ontario Palliative Care Network that's now underway. I think it is going to be a broader commitment of hospitals as they think about how do they care with these patients. We, we know there's a lot of changes coming to home care, and some of those changes to home care may also uh, facilitate this happening. So, again, to allow this to happen with very sick people with a lot of different symptoms um, to happen, well, requires a team. 
and requires a broad effort. And we, we really do need to start to coordinate those efforts in a better way and make them widely available. Okay, uh, Dr. Tepper, uh, let's go to the phones. We've got Rita in Vaughan. Hi, Rita. Hi, Libby. What is your experience? I want to share my experience with my father a few years back. He was basically sent home from a hospital as a palliative patient. And again, like you were commenting, that there's a lot of bureaucracy. So I felt the stress. Because he didn't leave us so fast, like he basically lived at home with the support, family and medical. But I, the stress I felt from the nurse or the care that I, like they, they, they thought he was living too long. Uh, he didn't go fast enough. So I felt the stress because like every week, okay, we have to reassess this. You're not going to be able to get the nurse overnight. Basically, we had a hospital room at home with IV, morphine, and everything else. But he he basically was comfortable, but he didn't die fast enough for this, <laughs> the caregivers that were giving, you know, the support. So I found that very stressful, very... Uh, I took it on myself to say, okay, I do whatever I can. So I basically take care of the pump. I take care of the morphine. If the needle comes out, I learn how to do it. So, yeah, before there's this stigma, palliative means you're dying, but then dying for the support system that you should be getting is like within three months, four months. But if it goes beyond that, Oh, you know, how come you're living so long? That's the way I felt. <laughs> Rita, just hang on a sec. I know that Dr. Tepper has to go in a couple of minutes, so let's let him uh, respond to that, Dr. Okay. Tepper. Yeah. Okay. Um, so first of all, I'm really sorry that uh, your listener felt that way. I, I genuinely don't believe that's how anybody would want a loved one feeling about the care they were getting. Yeah. Uh, I think we want, in fact, to create a situation where everybody... They have as much time as possible yeah. uh, with their with their loved ones. That that time that they have with their loved one is at the highest possible quality yeah. and is meeting the goals that that person has as an individual and the family has together. So I, you know, I, I think it's very unfortunate that that's how your listener was left feeling. It, it's not the goal of a good palliative care system, and again, that is one of the opportunities for improvement. Yeah, and I think the educating the. Uh, Providers, healthcare providers, whether it's home assistants or the doctor or the uh, social worker at the hospital, everybody has to be educated that, yeah, if you choose to want to stay at home, get the support, but it doesn't mean you're going to die or you're going to die next month. So they have to basically provide the support and education as well to the front. Don't feel the stress. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you know what? One I, other thing. Yes. I, we had the nurse because he had a pick line in his uh, arm. Anyway, so the nurse, the last week before, I guess she saw that he was getting really bad. The week before he died, she goes to me, oh, you look so stressful. You think you want to put him on a respite home? And I looked her straight at the face and I said, you mean I've done all this now for all these months, almost a year and a half, and I'm going to put him in a respite home for the last few hours or days. So that, to me, I, I took that very personal. I mean, I'm probably she meant 
for relieving me. I think she meant it for the best, and perhaps you should have had that sooner. But I came across as an insult. So instead of saying, okay, we're going to give you some rest by providing you some more support, no, we'll take him away. But, I mean, at that point, my father would have been terrible for him and terrible for us. Oh, oh, yes, but I think that respite for the family uh, that is taking care is really important, but perhaps... um, Earlier in the process. Yes. Now, I, I know that Dr. Tepper has to go, and we have to have a break. Okay. No, uh, so, thank you uh, for my call. Thank you very much for your uh, perspective. Yes. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Uh, and uh, Dr. Tepper, I guess, you know, the positive side of that is that, you know, when it was done in time, she was able basically to get all the equipment in her mm-hmm. home. Absolutely. That is the upside, and obviously there's still things that could have gone better than that situation. Uh, but, we, you know, I think, again, I'm hopeful that our report and a broader societal awareness, more conversations like you're encouraging, will all lead to a, a much better process towards the end of life for many people. Okay. Dr. Tepper, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Have a good day. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Welcome back. Uh, we are talking about a new report on palliative care. The issue will be very familiar to anyone who has experienced a, uh, being with a loved one at the end of life. There's just not enough palliative care here. Uh, most people don't get palliative care until it is very late in the process, and that makes everything much more difficult to manage. It's a report uh, that also talks about how we can make things better. We need better coordination from all the different pieces of the system. We'd like to hear from you about your experiences and uh, what you are hoping for. The numbers 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And we now go to Ottawa and Gabriel Miller. He is the Director of Policy and Public Issues for the Canadian Cancer Society. Welcome, Gabriel. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Now, from your vantage point, what is the most urgent problem in terms of receiving the right palliative care? Well, I think that if you look at, and this report today is just another uh, very clear reminder of it, if you look at the system, the biggest hole is its ability to provide care to people uh, at home. Yeah. And uh, what the, this report from Health Quality Ontario shows is that even among people who received some kind of palliative care uh, in the last month of their life, uh, fewer than half of them received any of those services at home, um, which means that uh, what's happening is people are being uh, funneled into hospitals where um, they're their needs as people, frankly, are not as well met because they would much prefer to be at home with loved ones in uh, surrounding of their choice. But it's also far more expensive for our healthcare system to meet their needs. And it means that we're unnecessarily caring for people in emergency rooms and acute care settings where um, those resources could be used to uh, provide care in other areas that are more need- more pressing. Okay, well, well, my, and uh, again, Dr. Tepper told me that it's more complicated than this, okay. but m- my perception is that when you, if you access home care, they give you a certain amount of it. But if somebody is at the end of life, 
they're going to need more of it. And while it is a lot cheaper for the system, it, for the person who has to make up that difference, unless they're very well off, it, it adds up into the thousands of dollars really quickly if you're looking uh, for a lot of home care. It's, you know... Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that uh, in, uh, in a very kind of core way is, is a huge part of the issue here, right? Is that... Um, our home, our way of providing home care is very piecemeal, and it uh, hasn't gotten to the point where it reflects the variety of needs that patients have got. And I think you're quite right that that there are certainly special home care needs that someone in la- approaching end of life is going to need. And so, not only are you talking about a general shortage of of um, nursing and supportive support workers to help people at home. But you're talking about an acute shortage in the kind of palliative care expertise and and the special specialized resources needed to do that. I uh, mean, so uh, that has to change. Well, I mean, to be sort of specific, I'm remembering uh, to when uh, my parents died, and at the end, you know, even if if we were able and willing, say, to to pay to have a personal uh, service worker there all the time. You could see that even when they 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 were you know losing consciousness, you could see when suddenly they had more pain. And if you're at home with a personal service worker, you can't just run down the hall and and call a nurse. No, <laughs> you know what I'm exactly. saying? Yeah. No. And um, so this this whole um, problem needs to be approached in a much more comprehensive way. It's not just going to be about uh, a little bit more uh, of this or that. We need to step back and ask ourselves, how are we preparing for uh, caring for people who frankly are experiencing um, a phase of life uh, to a far greater extent and in far greater numbers than they ever have before? Because we both have an aging population, but we also have people who are uh, living longer uh, with uh, diseases that might have uh, might have killed them quite quickly in the past, and cancer is a good example. And what we need to think about is how are we planning uh, for end of life in well in advance of that final month, and how are we making sure that the resources are in place at home, especially, but throughout the system, uh, to meet their needs, so that we're not just making this up as we go along, kind of one one patient at a time. I mean, that's the approach that results in. Uh, the numbers we see in this report with, you know, two-thirds of people dying in hospital, even when they've had some kind of palliative care consultation. Um, and um, uh, just a, a, a huge, I mean, the other statistic that stands out and that I think is one of the most astonishing ones is that a quarter of these people are spending half of their final month uh, in, in hospital. And uh, what a human cost that is, uh, not to mention the financial cost. Yeah, let's uh, let's take a call, Gabriel. We've got uh, Les in Mississauga. Hi, Les. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Uh, well, I just lost my wife. I'm so sorry. Last Friday. Oh, I'm so sorry. And pardon me. I found this is my first experience with dealing with CCAC uh, end of life uh, and. Uh, and that uh, we, I had promised my wife that she would never go back to the hospital again, and she didn't. So for two months, we cared for my wife at home. Uh, I learned dealing with CCAC that it was impossible 
it is bloody impossible to get the required assistance unless you have the where for all to pay for it, which I happen to have. Uh, you cannot get these services. CCAC is cutting back while the directors are fighting for their jobs, making 350 plus thousand a year. Well, I've got to tell you, it is just disgusting. Libby, there's nothing new about what is going on. The cost of putting people in the hospital is far more, and I mean far more, than providing the necessary palliative care that my wife was able to receive for the last two weeks of her life at Ian Anderson House in Oakville. The palliative care is absolutely necessary, and it cannot be done. It just cannot be done at home. No one is strong enough to do that. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss, and and thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, uh, it is so difficult for families to go through this. It's just awful. Uh, Gabriel, do you have any comment? Well, I mean, first of all, I just want to echo your comment, which is uh, how sorry I am to hear about about his loss. I think um, there's a, a couple of really important points here. One is. Um, that we're talking about a, a kind of a range of care that needs to be available to people at the end of life. Um, some people with proper support will be able to be cared for at home all the way through. Uh, but that burden can't just fall on family members, and far too much of it is falling on them now. As we can see. Challenges. And, and Les, I just want to interject, you know, uh, kudos to you for doing everything you could to help your wife have the the her last uh, time the way she wanted it. So uh, I hope that that is a comfort to you. Uh, Gabriel, please go on. No, not at all. Um, thank you. And um, I think the other point that uh, Les has, has brought out is, and this is clear in the report too, and I think for Canadians this is the, a bit shocking, but one of the really important variables in terms of of uh, people's access to care outside of hospitals is their income and the affluence of the, of the community they live in. And um, what you see actually throughout the report is a real ver- uh, range in terms of um, the quality of care that's available to people based partly on income but also on what community they happen to live in. And I think this is, again, this sort of um, a patchwork kind of every family for themselves uh, approach that has crept in because this is not part of our, uh, has not traditionally been part of our core set of, of publicly provided healthcare services in, in Canada. Um, you get islands of people who are uh, quite pleased and, and, and uh, feel well supported by the services available and then others sometimes just down the road who aren't able to get the support they need at all. And uh, it's time to have a kind of a a baseline of, of quality care and support for people across the board. Uh, Les, is, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Well, it, it just seems to me that there is nothing new here. This has been going on for many, many years. There may be many, many more people that are older, living longer, um, and, and et cetera. But, but why are we spending 
so much money on hospital care for these for for people that are dying when we could simply support more hospices to assist the people now hospice i don't know how familiar or if you've been to hospices but they have all of the possible care that you could need nursing doctors you name it but they have to rely on the community to pick up the slack for the funding that they require. Well, I, uh, I think that this report is, is talking about uh, shifting over to hospice. That's one of the things that's dealt with, because you're absolutely right. Hospice care is so much more appropriate. It, it's it's uh, the, the average person, well, not the average person. Virtually, I, I don't feel anyone could give the care required to to make a, a a person comfortable in the uh, in the last few few months forget few weeks few months of their life uh, you if you haven't done this you have no idea of the hurt. I, I, Les, um, thank you so much um, and. Uh, uh, what can we say? Uh, it's a terrible loss, and and we wish you the best. And thank you for contributing your experience, which is obviously so fresh. Uh, again, our sympathies. I just hope something is done. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Uh, Remy in Toronto. Hi, Remy. Hi. I'm sorry. I have to apologize. We are working in our condo. It's a bit noisy. Okay. I just want to share my experience last year. Okay. I lost my partner. I'm sorry to hear that. Accidental death. Okay. They just did the biopsy. But unfortunately, on the gallbladder, but unfortunately, they punched uh, the liver. Okay. And he had the internal bleeding that causes death. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. And um, I was uh, very fortunate, I think. Concerning the fact that everything went smooth, he was uh, being transferred to palliative care from Mount Sinai to Toronto Grace Hospital. And all the palliative care workers there were very nice. He was being taken care of. And he died in two days only. He died in January 30th. And he was admitted there uh, 28th. Well... Uh, at least we, we have heard from one person who had a, a good experience. Remy, thank you very much for sharing that. Yes. So I think it's up to, you know, to where you are going, really. And everything went well. So I just want to tell the people that way. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, we are we are going to, we only have a few seconds left. Uh, uh, Gabriel, uh, just to sum up. Uh, do you think that this report will uh, perhaps m- make things better, or uh, where are we at? I think it's an important report, and I do think that the government of Ontario and Health Quality Ontario deserve uh, some credit because this is a very open um, statement about uh, the faults and the shortcomings of their system, and it's that kind of transparency and accountability that's going to be the key to making improvements. I think um, the Prime Minister and the Premiers are meeting next month in Whitehorse, and 
the state of end of life care, especially um, now that we are moving into an age uh, where assisted dying is going to be part of our reality, uh, has to be at the top of the agenda. Because I think Les was right. These problems aren't new. Uh, they're getting more acute. And there really aren't any excuses for not taking action now. Okay. Gabriel, thank you so much for your perspective. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.